God is, uh, is, is kind to us. And we, we, we want to hold on at times and, and realize that God is actually very loving, very kind. And, and he actually likes to strengthen people who are weak. And uh, the, the thing that I like about that is that it, it requires us to, to do something that is not very popular. It's to, to wait. I don't know about you, I, I don't like to wait very much. Um, I'm a pretty, uh, people think I'm patient, but inside I'm boiling most of the time with impatience. And, <laughs> it, you know, it's, I'm the guy at the grocery store, you know, I'm, you know, I'm looking for every line, you know, which one's the shortest, who has the smallest number of groceries in their cart. You know, self-checkout is wonderful now. You know, I don't have to interact with anybody. I just go to the machine. And, you know, so it's two things. I'm rude. I don't like to talk to people, and I'm in a hurry, so I like to get in and get out. It's sad. I mean, it, it shows itself up like this Christmas. I mean, last week, Annette and I, I have long legs. And for some reason, they don't make jeans in longer than 34-inch inseam. I have a 36-inch in, inseam. And so I either wear, you know, jeans that are up here, you know, above my ankles, or I have to really shop really hard. And, and so we went to the mall in Springfield and, and went to a couple of Dillon's, or Dillon's. Dillard's usually has uh, jeans that are my size. I go in there. They've got a lot of jeans. I think, great. Start looking. I mean, I'm going through every shelf. Cannot find a 36 anywhere. I asked the little lady there who was working. I said, hey, what, what do you, and she said, well, we got a big and tall. I said, great. So I went over there. Great. They're going to be, they had, again, I mean, you can find 36 plus, you know, this way, which is, I mean, I've been there. I understand that. But, I mean, I'm looking for this way, up and down, and they don't have them. They, they had a 38. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess Annette could take those up. But so we had another store, another store. Finally, we get to JCPenney's, and and I'm getting frustrated by this point because I'm having to wait. I don't like it, and I'm looking for something that I can't seem to find that I think, come on, seriously? How many? There are lots of six-foot-tall people in this world. You should. Anyway, so get there, and I, they got a huge jean selection, right? I'm thinking, yes, I'm definitely going to find my jeans in my size at that store. I get looking, no. A young man comes up and says, hey, can I help you? I said, I'm looking for 36-inch length, and he said, don't have any. <laughs> I just said, I looked at him, I said, so you don't have tall people who shop in this store, you know, and I walk away, and Annette stands there and listens to him while he explains, and I'm just like, yeah, so yeah, on top of being impatient, I'm also rude, I, you know, so you've got another thing on your list, you got, yeah, check, there's Steve, right there, yeah, I mean, I don't like to wait for things, I mean, I don't, I, I like to get things now, uh, and the internet makes it even worse, I mean, this phone in my pocket makes me even more impatient because if I want to know something, I don't have to wait for it to come on the radio. I can find it out here, you know, stuff like that. Movie credits, who acts in this movie, I don't have to, you know, I can just go click, you know, there I am. Well, so I look up, you know, waiting, uh, the, 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 you know, the importance of waiting or the, you know, how, how is it helpful to wait on things. It takes .48 seconds on Google. They have a timer that tells me how fast they can locate the information I'm looking for. And then I got thinking, doggone, I wonder if I would have looked up patience, how fast it was, it was .24. Oh, man, I wasted, oh, gee. We have to wait all the time for all kinds of things. And, and the Internet doesn't make it any better. It makes it worse because it's like I can find stuff, you know, in an instant. And um, it's not always what I want, but it's, you know, at least I can search it out and it tells me how fast they'll find information for me. Waiting is difficult because what it means for us, and the scripture points out, if we are to wait on the Lord, but why, why should we wait? Why should we have to wait? I mean, isn't God like immediate? Doesn't he just come right now in this instant? Yeah, he's, he's definitely immediate. There's definitely truth about that. But there's also a sense, well, we wait for God. And I, I've experienced that. You've experienced that as well. Well, what does waiting mean? What's the importance of it? Well, 
Waiting means that someone is important. I mean, I, I've had a doctor's appointment recently. I'm just getting health checkups, making sure my heart's working well and all that. And everything's great so far. So, you know, I sit down at this office, and guess what they make me do? They make me wait for this doctor. Well, why is that? Well, is, is he more important than me? Well, in a sense, I mean, he has information I don't have. He has education I don't have. He has access to things that I don't have access to. And so I have to wait for him. Or, you know, dignitaries, you know, if you go to the White House and you wanted to meet with, you know, the president, well, guess what? He's probably going to make you wait. Why? Because you're not important and he is? Well, in a sense, yeah. I mean, he's running a country. You might be, you know, running a family. I mean, there's just a little different scale there as, as far as the waiting is. We also have to wait for development. Uh, my wife and I, we have five kids uh, that we, you know, she gave birth to. And, you know, it's, it, we had to wait, you know, from the time we found out that baby's on the way, we had to wait. Well, why, why not just have the baby right there? Well, there's development that has to happen, right? It doesn't just happen immediately because if it did, well, that'd be like weird, you know? I mean, the baby has to have some development time. And then over the time, you know, we have them, you know, we want them, we wait, come on, you know, start crawling, and then, oh, yeah, all right, start standing and walking, and all right, some words are developing, and finally they're having conversations, they're talking and they're walking, and we're always telling them, sit down and shut up. I mean, that's the way life is. We wait for things. We're not always impressed with the results of it, are we? And it's like we've been built with waiting, like, in us. I was reading, first day of the year, I was reading Genesis chapter 2, and there's the story. God creates heavens and earths in, you know, just a few days, six days. And he's got the guy there, Adam, in the garden, and, and uh, he's, he's given him this garden to tend. Well, gardening, man, talk about waiting. you got to plant seeds, you have to wait for them to grow. Yeah, even in the Garden of Eden, there was that. There was planting seeds, there was tending, there was waiting that had to happen. I mean, Adam had to go through, he had to name all the animals, you know. I mean, that took a while, right? He's got to name all the animals. And meanwhile, something's happening inside him because there's someone I haven't mentioned yet named Eve who will come along a little bit later. She doesn't come up immediately. God has to make man wait. He sees, you know, elephants. You know, there's a male elephant, a female elephant. There's giraffes, male elephant, you know, male giraffe, female giraffe. Get it out. He sees all these different animals, and he sees each one of them has a pair, you know, and it's just like, well, where's my, where's my half? I, I don't see the, and he has to wait. Even in perfection, in the garden, there's waiting that has to take place. And then uh, he said things that, like, most of us guys say once. Uh, he said, finally. You know, <laughs> his wife finally showed up. I mean, I feel that, you know. I mean, oh, you guys didn't laugh at that. Shoot, that wasn't funny. Um <clears throat> No, I mean, it wasn't finally she showed up, you know, I had to wait for her, now she's here. No, it was like uh, Etta James singing, At Last. I don't know if you guys have ever heard uh, that song before, but it, the words go like this, At last, my love has come along, my lonely days are over, my life is like a song. I mean, that's the kind of waiting that happened. It, it increased his passion for what it was that was lacking in his life, something that he had to wait for, something that he had to prepare for to come. He wasn't waiting so much on Eve. He was waiting on God. He was waiting on God to provide at the right moment, at the right time. I mean, you know how it is. If you, sometimes if you don't wait, you don't have like much appreciation. You don't have much affection for what you... If you get things instantaneously all the time, it's like you just throw things away. If you have to wait, it, it causes you to value. It causes you to appreciate. So... 
Our waiting has a bigger purpose. What if God is at work in our waiting, renewing us and strengthening us? Strengthening us? Why, why don't we like to wait? Well, there's several reasons why we don't like to wait. Um, but the Bible is very frank about our relationship to God. It says that He loves to strengthen the weak, and He loves for us to wait for Him in order for that to happen. But there's a problem here with us. I mean... I, I don't often like the language of being weak. Um, I grew up in a family where, you know, my dad died young. I was young, and I felt like I needed to be strong for the family. That's kind of my place in the family. So for me to th- consider being weak, I don't like that. You know, I, I lifted weights. I played football. I did those strong things because I hated, hated, hated the idea of being weak or frail. I just didn't like it. Maybe you're the same way. Maybe you don't like the idea of thinking that you're dependent, that you're weak in some way. We sang songs this morning as we were singing through some of the lyrics. I caught on to this sense of weakness, this sense of need, this sense of I'm dependent upon someone else. And we don't like that. It means that I don't have the resources that I need to be what I need to be or do what I need to do. I mean, it's easy to see our leanings toward independence, isn't it? I mean... Uh, whether it's, you know, on the waiting thing, or for me, it's like, you know, I, kids get toys at Christmas time. They say, here's the directions. I'm like, I don't need no stinking directions, you know? Extra bolts and nuts, who cares? They probably didn't need them anyway, you know? It's just like, I, I'm independent that way. I don't like to follow the instructions, or I'd rather drive around for two hours and wait $50 worth of gas than to stop at the gas station and say, hey, I need directions, right? Or what, now I can pull it up on my phone, right? <laughs> We wait to see doctors, we wait to see professors, we get the 15-minute rule in college, I used to love that, you know, 15 minutes, if they don't show up, you can leave, it's like, why, you know, I'm sitting watching, 8.14, he walks in, wait for the car to get fixed, it means that someone else has resources that I don't possess, it means that I have to depend on someone else, it also means that someone's more important than I am. I mean, how do you feel when uh, you have to wait on someone else? You know, you set an appointment for someone at the coffee shop, and, like, they don't show up on time. I mean, I feel like, well, is your time more important than mine is? It's more valuable than mine is here. Um, You know, that's why we're late to parties. We want to convince people that we're somehow important. We're arriving late. You know, it's it's about us. It's really a a negative thing. It means we're holding on... um, uh, well, so waiting, what does it mean? It means that we've, um, excuse me, waiting is a means of esteeming and valuing other things and other people, okay? It means we're holding on through a less than ideal present to get to a better future. I heard that a lot this New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Hey, it's going to be a great year. Can't wait. Can you know, looking forward to it. It's like, well, does now suck or what? I mean, you know, because you're looking forward to a better future. Well, yeah, the, to a certain degree. I hope it's worth the wait. It will be worth the wait. I mean, we get this kind of imagery, don't we? But we don't like waiting. We don't like that. Um, When I'm impatient and when I'm anxious, basically I'm saying to God and to other people, I'm the one who is preeminent. I'm the one who is of utmost importance. You should be waiting for me. I shouldn't be waiting for you. For many of us, rather than waiting to find resources and strength in God, we can resort to complaining that God, you know, He doesn't understand our problem uh, he doesn't understand us. He doesn't, and if he does, he doesn't really, you know, if he knows us, he doesn't really care about us. We value our needs above his provision. And we begin to believe that rather than him being for us, that he's somehow forgotten us or that he somehow doesn't understand us. I mean, that's what the people of Israel were saying here in this passage. 
in verse 27. You might look at that. It says, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is, excuse me, my right is disregarded by God. This is an accusation that actually lived in Israel's heart for the uh, good part of their journey out of uh, Egypt and, and throughout their uh, journey here. Isaiah is a prophet. He's trying to remind them about the faithfulness of God because they've forgotten. They've forgotten. They've thought, hey, God's holding out on me. Well, guess where they got that thought from? Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. From the very beginning, there was this idea that somehow God's holding out. Somehow God's not providing. He's holding back. We often think the same things. So we create gods in our own image that can access immediately, that we can comprehend them because, well, we've created them. We need them for that moment. Get a cheap substitute. It's easy to do, right? This whole passage is actually about idolatry. I mean, the whole thing, that whole chapter in chapter 40, Isaiah is continuing to remind them about not just these physical idols, you know, that we look at and maybe it's a carved image. It's actually an image that they've created in their hearts and their minds. It's something that they believe will get them by in a moment when God won't. It's those, those things that we look to that get it. We think, I've got to have this to get me through this time. I've got to have this to get me through this day. I've got to get through this problem. Isaiah is dealing with issues of idolatry. You can see that in verse 18 he says, To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? See, our hearts are actually, as one man has said, uh, he said, look, we, our hearts are idol factories. We're constantly producing things that we believe will meet our needs, that God, for some reason, he won't, at this point in time, we don't think he will meet that need. For some of you, maybe it showed up at Christmas time, it had to do with shopping. I mean, you go out and you buy things that you know you can't afford to buy. You know that it's going to cost you in the long run, big time. You just needed a little retail therapy, right, to get through the stress. You just needed a little something to tide you over. If I get something new and I buy that, I put, I put on a new jacket or a new dress or a new car or new shoes, I'll, oh, I'll feel so much better. Well, now, there's nothing wrong with having new things. I like to have, I bought some new jeans finally. Had to order them online, but I did. Because I burned holes in the other ones from battery acid, so. Okay? So, I mean, we have to get new things. There's nothing wrong with getting new things. It's when we find that those new things are somehow meeting a desperate, desperate need that we have inside. We think it's meeting that desperate need. And what it's doing, actually, though, is it's not strengthening us. It's weakening us. It's causing us to look to someone or something other than God. Well, maybe it's food therapy. I mean, I have eaten way too much uh, over the holidays. You know, I had to expand my belt notch out of one more notch there. Okay? Nothing wrong with eating. Nothing wrong with feasting. Nothing wrong with enjoying fellowship around food and enjoying food itself. But sometimes it's that food that is saying to us, look, I've got to have this. I can't get through this moment without this candy bar. I mean, I just can't, you know? Got to have a Snickers and a Diet Dr. Pepper, you know, just <laughs> to get through this moment. Got to have that cup of coffee. I need something to relax me. Yeah, cup of coffee is going to help you with that. Works for me. Okay. They become, it's not that those things are gods. It, what, what's, what's the God is that we're looking for comfort. We're not looking to be comforted by the one who promises comfort. 
we're actually looking to find comfort in other things. Maybe it's in relationships. You're hurting inside. You want to feel better about yourself, so you go and serve someone else. You go and meet a need of somebody else. Man, that sounds so benign, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we want to serve other people. We want to help other people. And yet, sometimes we can use our relationships not because we want to serve other people, but because actually we are lacking inside and we hope if we do something for them, they'll do something for us. We'll get a good feeling somehow. And it's that feeling that we're looking for. And what it is, it's a comfort to us. We're not looking to God. We're looking to a God. We're looking to a God to satisfy our need for comfort. So we're impatient. We do something quickly. We do something rash because we maybe give more than we should give. We maybe do more than we should do. Why? Well, because we want to have our comfort. Self-comfort is a deep-seated God in my heart and in your heart many times. I know that when I listed off these things, when I talked about idolatry, probably those weren't the things that would have been on the top of your list, right? I mean, you would have thought like drunkenness, sexual immorality, perversion of some kind. That would have been the idol. No, 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 no. It's often in those good things, actually, we begin to depend on that are keeping us, actually, from depending on God himself. And when these idols fail us, and it's when, not if... When these idols fail us, what happens is we get angry, we get agitated, we get impatient. We feel like God doesn't know us, and God doesn't understand us, and God doesn't care. But this scripture tells us to hold on a minute, wait just a second, and realize this. God loves to strengthen weak people. And he's even saying that to people whose track record is pretty crummy. They're people who are not looking to God at all. They're worshiping other idols. He says that to them. He doesn't say that to the guy who's faithfully standing. He says that to people who are idolaters. People like you and me. People who are looking to other things rather than God to actually get us through a moment. Isn't that encouraging to know that? That God is actually for us. That he's actually not against us. And he says, hey guys, hold on a minute. I'm the God who loves to strengthen weak people. So he says here, Isaiah, he's pointing them back to the one true God. He's pointing us back there as well together. And so Isaiah says this, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So it's like he's saying, hold on, wait a minute. God loves to strengthen the weak. He hasn't forgotten you. Don't forget Him. He does care for you. So renew your passion for Him. I I realize that you may be here today, maybe for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, I don't know. But you've never really heard this message that there's a God who really does love you, and He really does care for you, and He really does want the best for you. Maybe you haven't heard that before. But today, I just want to continue to kind of press that forward. No, this God, He really does care for you. The claim that we as Christians have is that God cares for us. And He cared so much that He searched us out. He found us when we weren't looking for Him. That's what happened in this passage. These people weren't looking toward God anymore, but He found them out. He sent someone to say to them, Hey, look, this God is good. He's gracious. He's full of mercy and compassion. And I think that's why you're here today, actually. 
Because the scriptures don't indicate so much that we're seeking out God, but that God is like a hound of heaven seeking us out. And he wants to us to come back to him. He's drawing us to himself. And so I'm glad, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're all here today. Because I think that's what God's doing. He's drawing us close to himself. This passage also speaks to those of us who have heard this message before and believed that we need to be reminded to remember what we do know about God. Not a God of our own making, but the God who made us. Our hearts should thrill at these verses that remind us of who God is and how much He loves us. Does your heart thrill today at this? That's, that's I think, an indicator of what's going on inside us. Are we getting thrilled by the tr- truth? Are we allowing the truth to get into us and actually we feel strengthened and bolstered and joyful because of it? For those of you hearing this message for the first time, it should help you to consider God and the implications of His kindness and generosity toward you and how you view life. God really does know your path. He really does understand who you are and where you are. He really does love to strengthen those of us who are weak. So we remember who He is. We remember who He is. The claim of the Bible is that there really is just one God. I don't know if you realize that or not. I just want to be very clear about that, okay? There really is just one God. There aren't lots of gods. There aren't territorial gods. There aren't gods that control the weather and gods that control, you know, other things. It's like, no, there's one God. The Bible's very clear about that. This God created everything, physical, spiritual, metaphysical, whatever you, realm you want to look into, He created all of it. There's nothing that exists that He has not created. Nothing. Now, if you want to understand Uh, A car, or you want to understand a computer, guess what you have to do? You want to understand yourself better, same thing. If you want to understand a car, guess what? You need to go to somebody who designed a car. Okay? If you want to understand a computer, you need to go to somebody who actually has designed a computer to really understand how it works. If you want to understand who you are, then you've got to go to the one who made you. You've got to go to the one who created all things. You want to understand everything around you, you have to go to the one who created it. He's the one who understands it the best, right? But He created us. He created us not to be independent from Him, but actually to be dependent in a dependent relationship on Him and to be in a relationship with Him. But we rebelled. We broke relationship. And from that point, God was actively working to restore our strength, to restore our joy, to restore our relationship to Him. God has not, did not just start You know, in Matthew chapter 1 with redemption, he started in Genesis chapter 3 with redemption. As soon as we broke faith in him, he was working to pursue us, to draw us and bring us back to himself. That is what this passage is showing us. Remember who he is. The infinite one, we just celebrated at Christmas time here. This infinite God who made everything and set everything into order, this infinite one became finite to dwell among us. He be, the immortal one took on immortal, or the immortal one took on mortality to be with us. The eternal one shares in our temporal, momentary nature. He understands our weakness because he created us, but he understands our weakness more even because he became one of us. That's what we just celebrated through Christmas. He became one of us. He shares in our weakness. He laid down His rights so that we might have the rights to become sons of God. This passage talks about lost rights, that somehow we feel like we've lost our rights. And God says, hey, look, I understand that. 
I gave up my rights to become one of you, to die the death that you deserved, to live the life that you could not live so that you could have it in Jesus. His understanding is pretty amazing, don't you think? He understands you because he created you, but he understands you and me because he became one of us. It's amazing, God's love for us. Don't you want understanding? Don't you want someone who will just understand you, who will just listen to you, who will just know who you are? Don't you want someone who will just love you as you are to give you unconditional love? Hey, this is the God who does that. He's the one who understands you better than I ever could. I guarantee you. He understands me and loves me even though I'm flawed and broken, I'm impatient and agitated easily. He still, he knows me and yet, He loves me. This is the God that we know about. But he also says to listen to him. Have you not heard? Have you not heard this? Have you not heard this? It's amazing what we listen to. I mean, it really is. The thoughts that go through our mind, the things that go through our hearts, the accusational statements against God. It's just amazing to me how often I get caught up in thoughts thinking, oh, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. He's so far from me. He must have forgotten me. I mean... We listen to those so quickly, don't we? We get discouraged and frustrated. Do you not experience that? Maybe it's just me. I mean, I've experienced that. And I've talked to tons and tons of people who that's their experience. They're like, God doesn't love me. What? Are you kidding me? Do you not know what the scriptures say? Have have you not heard how much he loves you? He does love us. We have suspicion. We have accusation against God in our hearts. We listen to it so easily. And I think this passage, again, it just says, whoa, hang on. Wait a second. God loves to strengthen the weak. He's not in opposition to you. He's for you. He's for you. When we live with this suspicion and accusation against God, it weakens us. It wears us down. Because rather than being in a harmonious and trusting relationship with God, the way we're meant to be, we're actually in an adversarial relationship. Uh, kind of relationship with God. You, you know what I mean by adversary, right? It's an enemy, someone that you have made to be an enemy. Now, God amazingly does not make us his enemies. We make him our enemy. It's clear in the scriptures, Romans chapter 5 says that. It says, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. God's a pretty amazing enemy to have, actually. He's a good enemy to have. You know, it's, you know there's two kinds of enemies, right? There's good enemies and there's bad enemies, Bad enemies are those who want to destroy you. Good enemies are those who actually want to help you and restore you. God's a good enemy. You don't understand the concept? Let me help you out just a little bit. I'm a father. I have five kids. Six if you include Sheena with us. And um, there are many, many times in their lives that I have been a good enemy to them. Like when they were little, you know, they're crawling around on the floor. They go to the kitchen cabinet where we keep, you know, bleach and detergent and things like that. And they go grabbing for those bottles of bleach. Guess what dad's doing? Hey, whoa, whoa, stop. Don't do that. I just opposed their will. I was just their enemy. But was I an enemy seeking to destroy them? No, I was an enemy seeking to preserve them, to keep them from killing themselves. Or invariably in the front yard, we're out playing kickball or we're doing something, you know, and the ball rolls out into the street. You know, one of my kids is right there at the corner getting ready to run out into the street. He's like, whoa, stop. What? What? Don't run out into the street. You're going to get killed. I mean, I'm yelling at them. I'm their enemy in that moment. I'm opposing their will. Why? Because I hate them? Because I don't want them to live? No, because I love them and I want them to live a good, long life. See, parents are a good enemy for children to have. 
right? They oppose our will that is bent on self-destruction. Ignorantly, many times, but nonetheless bent on it. God is that kind of enemy. When we refuse to wait on Him, when we're worshiping other things, when we're going to other... He's an enemy. He says, wait, stop. I'm a God who loves to strengthen weak people. So God's that kind of enemy. He's a kind enemy. We might get frustrated with Him when He opposes our will, but He knows what brings life. He knows what brings death. And He's trying to save you, not destroy you. He's trying to strengthen you, not weaken you. So this verse just continues on. Hang on, God is strengthening the weak. Verse 29 says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, He increases strength. It's not just that God gives us resources to be stronger. He gives us Himself to be our strength. He gives power to the faint, to him who has no might. He increases strength. Do you know that as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, you can have all the perspective, all the strength, and all the endurance that you need for any situation in life? Anything. Anything that can come your way, God says, in Him, with Him, you can have all the perspective you need to be able to see things clearly, all the strength you need, all the endurance you need to get through that situation. It's yours. You can have it. How do you access it? That's the question. It's like, well, okay, I've been there. I didn't experience it. What's the missing link? What's the thing that I need? Well, it's that nasty word that we, four-letter word that we hate to say, wait. You need to wait. You need to wait and not press through impatiently. You need to wait on Him. Waiting seems to do this for us. It means that we're acknowledging we don't have the resources that we need in ourselves. Now, you may laugh at that and think, well, I already know that. No, you don't. No, I don't. Because I press on as if I've got everything I need without even acknowledging that God is there. I do it all the time. That's why I get impatient. That's why I don't like waiting. Waiting means that I recognize that God is God and I am not. Oh, do you know that? He's God, you're not. (laughs) Simple statement, right? But waiting enforces that, reinforces that reality. He's not, the one verse that I read there, it says, who can compare to him? No one. He's incomparable. You can't compare him to anything or anyone else that you know in this world. You can't. It says that his understanding is unsearchable. That doesn't mean that like you can't understand God's understanding. It means that you can search and search and get a glimpse into it here and there, and you will never come to the depths and the realities of how much God understands the plight that you and I are in. You can't get to the bottom of it. The the way the scripture is put together there, it says that he created the ends of the earth. And then when it says that it's unsearchable, it's like you can go to the ends of the earth and try to find, but you cannot come to the end of God's understanding. That's the way it communicates to us. So having to wait and find that God is God, and that he has all the resources that we need, he is the resource that we need, he actually loves us, what it means then is we have to admit something. I was, I was, I was wrong. I was wrong about God. You were wrong about God. 
When your heart is accusing Him and saying, hey, He doesn't know me, He doesn't understand me, He doesn't get my path, He doesn't know where I am, you were wrong. I was wrong about who God is and how much He loves and how much He loves to come to the support of those who are weak and who wait on Him. You've overestimated how good and strong you are and underestimated how good and strong God is. You were wrong. I was wrong. But hang on, there's good news. God loves to strengthen weak people who will take the time to wait for Him. Hey, if you've got your Bible, grab it up there. I don't know the page number. Mine's a little different here. But flip to uh, Psalm 130. Because I want us to understand a little bit about, you know, what, what does it mean to wait, right? I mean, it's like sitting in the waiting room, checking your watch, checking your Facebook all the time. We've got to wait on God. Jeez. What's it like to wait on God? What is it doing? Psalm 130. I'm going to read this passage here out loud. And starting in verse 1, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, you hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. Verse 6, My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there's steadfast love. With Him there's plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel for all His iniquities. Waiting, we're concerned. Waiting often kind of cools our affection. What God says is that waiting fuels our affection for Him. We're afraid that waiting will somehow cool our passion. God says, no, waiting actually fuels your passion. That's what this psalmist is saying here. He's waiting with anticipation and longing. Like someone who's, anybody here worked third shift before? Yeah, yeah, a few of you, okay. That third shift job, you know, it's the one in the middle of the night till morning. That's what a watchman is. It's someone who has to stand guard, at, you know, he, he has to look out, he has to be awake and alert through the part of the night when everybody else is resting soundly, securely in their beds. It's being on third shift. Now, I've stayed up, my son went to a lock-in this week, Ezra went to a lock-in this week, they stayed up all night long, stupidest thing in the world, I don't know why people do it, okay, I love to sleep, I'm not good at it, but I love to sleep, and you know, I just think, why in the world would you, like, intentionally not go to bed and just stay up late all night? Well, guess what, when he got home, first thing, he gives me a hug, says, good morning, Dad, straight to bed, I mean, just like, crash, bing, boom, he was gone, slept for a while. Can you imagine the longing that you had, you know, being up all night, not just awake and having fun like Ezra was, but actually awake and intently looking over the horizon, always scanning, always looking, is everything good, is everything safe? I mean, you just can't wait to see that sunrise so that you can get off work, so that you can go in your nice, snug bed. Do you think that waiting, like, makes you hate your bed? Like, 
you know, if I stay up really, really long and I work really, really hard, that actually, you know, oh, I hate my bed. I don't want to. The, the longer you have to wait, the more you despise your bed. I mean, is that what you think? Or the more you stay, the less you, you know, the more you hate sleep? No, no, no. The waiting builds anticipation. The waiting actually builds strength. The waiting actually builds passion for the very thing that you're waiting. He can't wait to see the sunrise. Why? Because it means I get to go to bed. Right? He gets rest. That's what God is saying to us. This is the way our hearts should be turned toward God with passion, waiting for Him. Can't wait for the next opportunity to be able to spend time with my God who loves to be with me and loves to strengthen me. Waiting doesn't make your heart grow cold. It makes your heart grow warmer, passionate. Rather than being passive and distracted, waiting is meant to cause us to be fully engaged and active. I think the reason why our hearts grow cold to God is because we're actually we're not waiting on Him. We're not anticipating the next opportunity when we can be together with Him. And our hearts grow cold, distracted, frustrated. If you're disengaged and distracted... It's not because you have too strong of a desire. It's actually because you have too weak of a desire. And waiting fuels the passion that we have to be with God. Let me give you a brief explanation about that. When I get frustrated and discouraged, what it means is I've lost heart. It means that I'm more interested in what I want than interested in anyone else or or anything else. Particularly God. It works my way out in my relationship with Annette. I don't know if you, you know, maybe you're married or maybe you're in a relationship. It's like <clears throat> when I get frustrated with her and impatient with her, and, and I do, not her fault, it's mine, okay? But I do get impatient. I do get frustrated. It's not because I care too much about her at that point in time that I'm getting frustrated because she's not meeting some expectation. or It's not a fault in her. It's a fault in me, right? I'm the one who's frustrated and impatient, not because I care too much about her. She's going the wrong way. She's doing the wrong thing. Oh, well, if she would do this right, I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is I'm not getting my needs met. She's not doing the things that I want her to do, and now I'm getting frustrated, right? My affections for her have not gotten warmed. They've gotten cooled. The same with God. When I'm frustrated with Him, it's because my expectation's not in Him. I'm not concerned about what He wants. I'm concerned about what I want, and I'm not getting it. My passion is not strengthened in that moment. It's actually very much cooled. I care too much about my own comfort that's being violated in this moment. I've put a godlike expectation on my relationship with my wife to fulfill and strengthen me. See, that's when I get frustrated. That's when I get anxious. But God says, no, 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 put your trust in me. Wait on me. Let your anticipation and love for me grow. When I'm waiting on God, I'm finding fulfillment in Him. I can love Him more completely. I can love my wife more completely. Because I'm not putting a godlike expectation on our relationship to be the thing that meets my need. I'm putting it on God. How do we wait expectantly on God? Through prayer. Prayer is the language of passion in the midst of waiting. See, you, you thought prayer was just asking God for stuff, right? Yeah, that's the way I usually think about prayer. Prayer is just going to God and asking Him for stuff. Like Santa Claus. My relationship with Santa Claus is pretty weak, all right? 
I only see him once a year. I sit on his lap and ask him for things I want, and that's all there is to it, right? I, I don't do that anymore. Um, but that's, that's the relationship we have with Santa Claus, right? You go to Santa Claus once a year. You ask him for a whole list of stuff. You hope you get it. Why should he give you anything? He doesn't know you, and you don't know him. I don't care what the song says about him watching you while you're sleeping. It's just weird, okay? No, see, God wants a relationship with us. And he wants us to have passion and relationship with him. He doesn't want us just to approach him once a year, once a week, once a day, and just like give, okay, God, here's my list of stuff. No, he wants us to have passion and love him because he has passion and loves us. Yeah? Prayer is a language of passion. It's not just about getting the stuff I want. It's about getting the relationship that I know is strengthening and satisfying from Him who has all the strength, who never grows weary, who understands me more than anybody else ever, ever could. So that's why this guy starts his prayer off. Verse 1, chapter uh, 130 there, he says, out of the depths I cry, O oh Lord, to you. O oh Lord, hear my voice. Be attentive. I mean, he is praying. He is crying out to God in his waiting. He is not waiting passively. He's waiting expectantly. He's waiting with, I need you more than anything else. This, that's the first thing he does. He cries out to God. The second thing, he acknowledges his need for connection. You and I, we have to come to the reality We need connection with God. We need that satisfying connection that comes only from Him. Next, he realizes he needs mercy. The weight of his sin has uh, removed his passion for God, and, and it causes him to recognize that only in God alone is there forgiveness of sins. Only in God alone, through Christ alone, are our sins forgiven. And he recognizes this. He continues to express the desire of his heart through waiting. Like the watchman waits for the morning. He says it twice, like the watchman waits for the morning. What that means is it's very important to learn wait on God. Doesn't ask for a lot of stuff, doesn't try to make his life more comfortable, which is our normal request. He asks for a deeper relationship with the one who saves, who strengthens, who abides. There's other places in the scripture you can find out how to ask for stuff. I mean, I'm not the Bible doesn't say don't ask for stuff. All right. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying. But what it primarily is, is about warming your heart, growing in your affection for Jesus. He loves to strengthen weak people. Don't rush into asking for things. Be convinced that you need Him above all else. All I need in Christ I have. Could you just say that with me? All I need in Christ I have. That's the cry of our hearts. That's the thing that Christians cling to I don't need anything else but Christ and Christ alone. And what He provides is all that I need. Now, Jubilee, we exist for this purpose. I want throughout this year to be connected to Jesus. I want us to really explore, and on a personal level, at your own home, at your own leisure, whatever it is you go to God, I want you to learn personally to go to God and wait for Him and enjoy time with Him. Maybe it's early in the morning. Jesus seemed to do that a lot. He seemed to go off by himself early in the morning to get away from the crowds simply to wait on God. Read about that this morning in Luke chapter 4. He's got crowds all around him, people begging him, come on, heal more people, do more cool miracles. And what does he do? He goes off by himself, quiet, alone with God. Doesn't let pressing issues push out his time with God. 
What about you? What pushes out your time with God? Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's in the evening. Maybe it's at noontime. Maybe it's in the middle of the night. Okay? Maybe you have, you know, you like to get up late in the morning. You have the schedule to do so. You like to stay up late at night. Okay? Jesus was up late at night, sometimes through the night, praying, spending time, waiting on the Father. This is our connection to Jesus. If you're not connecting to Jesus yourself, good luck trying to connect other people to Jesus. Good luck with that. The scriptures are clear. Jesus didn't connect people to God, meanwhile having a terrible relationship with God. No, he was constantly going back for nourishment, for sustenance, for strength. He realized he was weak and he needed strength. He waited on the Father. As a church, we express this as well. Week after week, throughout the year, on Wednesday mornings, we're gathering at 6.30 in the morning to pray. Just to spend time waiting on Jesus, an hour together to say, look, not just individually do I need strength from God, but corporately, this people who are here to connect people to Jesus, we need strength from God to do so, right? We've got to have resources that are only found in Him. But Steve, you're adding something to my schedule. I'm already busy. I don't get enough sleep as it is. Look, Jesus was up half the night healing people. He gets up the next morning very early and goes off by himself to pray. I mean, that's the kind of imagery we have. Why is he doing that? He is making a values choice. What is it that's going to bring him more strength? A couple of hours of sleep or more time with Jesus and more time with his father? He doesn't opt for staying in the rack a few more minutes. He opts for spending time with the father. See, we we make value judgments. I'm I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Hey, look, I understand that. I'm busy too. But I've got to busy myself spending time with the Father. I can't let other things squeeze out that time. So as a people, Wednesday morning at 6.30, we'd be here. We're right here. Wednesday morning, 6.30, we'd be here. Listen to me. My my wife, the English teacher, just went, you know. We're here praying. We're spending time waiting on God. We do it also like three times a year on a week of prayer. We spend a whole week we have a night, Wednesday night, we pray together as a, as a location, but then like we go to the city on Friday nights and we worship and pray. Well, why is that? Just because it's a nice religious thing to do, that's what church people do, they go off and pray. No, 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 no. Please don't think that way. God loves the weak. And He loves to strengthen them. We have to be those who hold on, wait just a minute. Get our minds squared back up again and realize to wait on Him is utmost value to us. We do it a couple of other times a year. We have nights that we call, (coughs) excuse me, Uh, we have have, uh, times that we gather together um, just to be energized and to encounter God's presence through worship. We do it a couple of Wednesday nights throughout the year. Why? Because religious people sing a lot. No. Because we're weak people who need a strong God to come and empower us. And we want to wait and spend time with Him. This community, Washington, Franklin County, needs to see a people who are completely engaged in God, who recognize our absolute weakness and dependence on God, and who spend time praying for our community, spending time with Him, being encouraged, being strengthened in our times of worship. We do it every week here. We worship. We get our focus set on God as well. But this community needs to see that. They need to see a people who realize that They can't make it. They can't do what God's called us to do without His help, without His presence. If we're going to see the lives, our own lives changed and transformed, because that's the second part of the statement, we connect people to Jesus. Why? 
So they, they have transformed. I blew it, didn't I, Rick? Sorry. <laughs> Rick, he said the other day, you've got to get this second part right. Connecting people to Jesus, resulting in, resulting in transformed lives that honor God. Something like that. Okay. I still blew it. I know what it results in. It results in a transformed life. But you and my lives as well, they've got to be transformed. Why? Because we want to honor God. That's the whole point. Honoring God comes through waiting. All right? It's probably good that I said it wrong because now you'll look it up. It's in the front of your bulletins. Okay? (laughs) If we want to see our own lives transformed, we've got to learn to wait on God. If we want to see the lives of people in our community transformed, We've got to wait on it. If we want to see this community transformed so that the impoverished, the impoverished are finding hope in their God, so that those who are dependent upon meth and other drugs in this community are not depending on those anymore, for those who are living their lives as if God doesn't exist, they might come to find out you know, He does exist and He's much better than they thought. We have to wait on God and find strength in Him. If we're going to run without weariness and soar with God's perspective and walk without giving up, we've got to get good at waiting, at praying and anticipating God to strengthen us. 